I think it was a, a while ago that uh, we as a local church, we looked at the story of Daniel, and uh, I had the privilege to preach around Daniel at the equip, and Mark Cowie said to me, man, Craig, we need to hear that on Sunday. So uh, there you go. When you see Mark Cowie, you can thank him for uh, what I have to say this morning. But, uh, you know, I'm just thinking that in the heart of man, Everybody wants to make a difference. I was trying to think back to my unsaved teenage years. I couldn't remember if it was Bob Marley or Eddie Grant that sang, everybody wants the same thing, don't they? Any of you terrible sinners that used to listen to that music? Anyone tell me, Bob or Eddie? Killer at his best, one of the two. And uh, everybody wants the same thing, don't they? (laughs) Some of you are like scandalized. What the preacher listened to reggae? My goodness. Um... Everybody wants the same thing, don't they? They want a happy end. They want to see the game on Saturday. They want to be somebody's friend. And I won't ask you to join in on the chorus. But the truth is that inside of us is a need to count in this life. It's amazing how as we see greater and greater urbanization, they're telling me, they're projecting all sorts of things. I think they're saying that at 11 billion people, the population of the world should should stabilize, and so in X number of years, we should stabilize around 11, million people, 11 billion people. They, they're speculating as to what that will look like and, and what that will mean for our world. But uh, it's amazing how we find ourselves in increasingly larger groups. If you go to the mall, the mall is now fuller than it's ever been. The malls are expanding. You probably live in a block of, uh, in an estate or a, a block of town flats or townhouses where there's more people around you. Coming from a small town to this city, you suddenly realize how many more people are around you, and yet you can still feel lonelier. It's not not about how many people fill the space around you as to whether one feels lonely, one feels that they have a purpose in life, and one feels whether they're actually um, worthwhile in this life. They talk about these, we heard it during the week, they talk about these blue zones. Anyone heard of the blue zones? They are the places in the world. There's apparently a couple of spots where the average age of the population is it's like, a, it's like an anomaly from across the rest of the world where people live so much longer. They live so much healthier. They, live so much, they stay stronger longer. And uh, so, so the, the people have studied what makes these blue zones happen. What's special about those areas? So obviously, some of it is... Stress-related, some of it is health-related, some of it might even be diet-related. But um, two things that was mentioned, the one guy stood up to preach. He said, I've been preaching for 50 years. He was 71, and uh, he travels with his wife, who's 81. They travel three weeks out of the year. And he said, uh, two things stand out in those blue zones, these, these people that are thriving in longevity, the first, the first is that they have family, that they are part of a group. That's not just biological, but they're part of a group. And really, Christians should be, have the same testimony. The second is that they have purpose. I remember my dad, he, uh, he worked in the corporate world. Then he left the corporate and he set up his own business and uh, after years and years and years, into his 70s, the whole family was like, Dad, don't you think it's time for you to slow down? And I remember he'd, he'd scaled back to just a couple of clients. 
but uh, his office was at home, and he'd still go. Every day, he'd go sit at his desk. He was still old school. He, he had handwritten ledgers, if, if you guys even know what that is. Uh, Excel wasn't a thing for my dad. He had all those long books, and he'd fill out all the, all the figures. And uh, we would say, Dad, don't you want to like, have a rest now? And they started to take a little bit more holiday. But every day, he'd go sit at his desk. Why? Because when you don't have purpose, when you don't have a sense that you're accomplishing something, all of a sudden, you wonder what's it all about. Now, if you like me, right now, I'm thinking, oh, wouldn't it be great to wake up and have nothing to do? Wouldn't that be great? Like, don't have to get the kids to school. Don't have to start with my to-do list. It sounds wonderful, hey? But you know what I'm learning is the people that get to do that for a while, very soon they start thinking, man, I wish I could do something. Wish I could do something. Now, I know you kind of go, no, nah, Craig, you're a liar. Uh, because most of us in this stage of our lives are like, man, that sounds like the dream. But then you go and look at people that retire. If they don't keep actively involved, uh, Dave Ramsey speaks about an encore career. You might not have to work for a living anymore. You might not have to be in the same area or industry, but we all need to find something where we can make a meaningful contribution to the people and place around us. And so the question is, is can I make a difference? You might be saying, man, I'm not a church planter. I'm not, I don't know what it is that in your head you might equate as those are the people that count for Jesus. If, if I have to say, I have to say I'm not Billy Graham because, I mean, he is one of the, the, the greats. He's filled stadiums and done all these amazing things for the Lord. And you could say, well, that guy counts for God or that lady counts for God. I'm not in the same category. But I want to say that God has designed us, He's equipped us, we heard from Opah, to actually work on His behalf, to minister to others. And, and you don't need to fulfill a certain role, you don't need to be a certain type of person, you don't need to have a certain role, even in the local church, to be able to do meaningful work on Jesus' behalf. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Um, Man, just some quick background, Francesco, thanks. You can give us those, those next slides. So we're talking about Daniel, who part, as part of the nation of Judah was uh, taken captive by the Babylonians. It's in that part of the world. You can give us the next slide. It's near Iraq. This is the extent of the Babylon. One back, sorry. Let's see if it works now. The extent of the Babylonian Empire. They were the largest empire in the world. They were the most sophisticated in the world. And uh, if you think about the, the, the Jews, were really just a farming type migratory people. They lived in tents and uh, they looked after flocks and herds. And uh, then Babylon comes along and attacks them. And you can give us that next slide. This is an artist's impression of the city of Babylon, the biggest city, about 200,000 people uh, living in it in 600 BC. So a while ago, um, it would have been the biggest city in the world, in the best empire in the world. And these Israelites get taken captive and put into that city. Uh, everything around them was different. And there's a reason I'm saying all of this. If you have not grown up in Gauteng, if uh, you're a newcomer, even if it's been years, you will have noticed there's a certain difference when you get up here, right? My brother, now that we live here, my brother, when I see him uh, at, at holiday time, he says, how does it go in the land of plenty? And I remember as a young kid waiting for my uncles and nephews, uh, yeah, my, my, no, 
my, my in-laws, my sister and brother-in-law and all of those and nephews. I wait for them to come down to the coast to our little town, and I'd love to see what's the new shiny thing they're bringing from the big city because that's how it goes. But now that you and I live here, Uh, guaranteed we earn more money than most people in South Africa. Your same job somewhere else, yeah? And we have shinier things, but do we have better life? Maybe, maybe not, yeah? Sometimes we used to compare from the small town to the big city, but my point is this, that there are pressures in a city, not just this city, but every city of the world. There are pressures here that maybe you don't face when you're a farmer or when you're living in a small town. There are pressures there too, make no mistake. But there is, it's very apparent that wherever you look, there is a visible, tangible sense of the culture that you and I live in pressing in on us. You agree with me? Yeah? You think maybe, maybe not? You're not so sure? Well, just try, try, just try driving a second-hand car to work for a while. You know, when all the others in your level at work are driving certain cars, then you just drive something very different. You see there's a subtle pressure. Shame, are you all right? <laughs> yes? There's a look that speaks of success. There's a right places, right clubs, right have you been here? Have, so what are you doing for your holiday this year? There's this subtle pressure. When we first came to Gauteng, we couldn't believe it. We'd sit at kids' parties, and now I'm going to stand on your toes, and the parents would boast about which therapist their child was going to. Oh, shame, your kid broke a bone. Well, you know, my kid broke a bone, and we sent her to the best bone surgeon in the whole of South Africa. I'm like, like really, are we boasting about that now? You know, like, I must be better than you because my kid went to a better doctor than your kid did. Like, really? And I want to say there's a subtle pressure that you and I live in, in a city. Yeah? And David, uh, Daniel, with his friends, gets uprooted from everything he knows. And he gets dropped into a foreign culture. Remember when we went to Singapore for the first time? They, uh, they said, you can have carrot cake for breakfast. I'm like, well, it says cake. It can't be a bad thing. Uh, carrot cake in Singapore is turnip uh, what do you call those things? Um, you make them with eggs, not fried, not scrambled. Eh? Omelette. A turnip omelette is Singaporean carrot cake. I was very disappointed. <laughs> you, you get onto the BRT, the equivalent of our car train, and you see people have stopped at the market, and they've got these little plastic packets with string handles, and it's one's filled with soup, one's filled with fruit juice. I mean, you go home thinking, nothing that I can see. I mean, it's human beings, it's a city, but everything's different. I want to say to you and I that we have been parachuted into this city. Now, you've got two choices. You can say, this city is evil, and we want to run. Let's go join a monastery and stay away far from these horrible people. Or you can say, God has put me into a culture. And like we heard earlier, the kingdom of God culture must triumph over the culture that I'm living in, because I want to make a difference and bring Jesus to the people that are around me. Make sense? So, uh, this young man, Daniel, and his friends gets catapulted into, into uh, 
Babylon. He was steadfast. He was known at work for his wisdom and his intelligence, his faithfulness to God. He was an honest politician. He could interpret dreams. He was a loyal friend, and he even survived the lion's den. So let's have a look in Daniel chapter 1. We'll read from verse 1. Daniel 1 verse 1, it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem, king of Judah, into his hand. You notice that? Most of us would have had a crisis of faith right there. So you've got to get to know the, the, the names when you read this book so you can, you can know who's who. But it says here, the Lord delivered Jehoiakim. He is the Jewish king. Right? So his, when, you, when you read his name, it represents the whole of South Africa. Just like when you speak about overseas, when you speak about our president, you're referring to our nation. Right? And it says, the Lord delivered him and the nation into the hands of the king of Babylon. I mean, my goodness. He said, but Lord, we prayed. <laughs> yeah? We prayed, God, and it didn't, you didn't answer our prayers. I think he did answer their prayers. Just not the way they wanted him to. It goes on to say, um, along with some of the articles of the temple of God. My goodness, it gets worse. These he carried off into the temple of God in Babylonia and put them in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. If you are part of a corporate job, remember when you joined it? They said, we have a corporate culture here. You will dress like this. You will turn up at work like this. You will complete these forms. You will speak to your chains of command in this fashion. There is a culture that they want to bring you into. And so they took all these, the first round of, of captives, and they wanted to teach them their language, their food, their culture, their literature. I was uh, <laughs> getting my hair cut by someone for the first time the other day. They were Afrikaans, so when they saw my name, they realized that I must be English. So they took pity on me. And I was trying to find common ground and uh, that we could, you know, when you're talking to a stranger, you're not quite sure. And everything that I said, this girl said, what? I was talking about uh, uh, TV shows and clearly she didn't listen, she didn't watch the same TV shows that I watched growing up. Uh, I referred to some of the children's stories that, that I loved, but she must have, there must be different ones in Afrikaans, right? And the point is, when you and I come into a city, the city and the world presses in on us, wants to make us like them. And so they try their hardest with these boys, and uh, they resolve. It's an amazing thing. And so this morning, we're going to look at three of the tests that they faced. And uh, they resolve to keep themselves pure before the Lord. Just for fun, I must show you. You can give a, go the next slide. Can you imagine the next one? There we go. Can you imagine if Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego were posting on social what they would be saying? Hey, maybe they would have, oh, I'm in Babylon. It's so terrible. An amused face. Maybe it would be worse. Loudly crying face. I love the, uh, I, I tell you, I like the names of the emojis even more than I like the emojis. Yeah? Screaming in fear face. How about that one? 
But you see, um, one of you guys said it already this morning. The amazing kind of thrust that we had over our quip time is a reminder that this life is not about me. I am not the center of my universe. And can I just say, neither are you. And so often we see our whole world in the light of ourselves. Can you imagine these young men? <laughs> I mean, maybe he had a girlfriend down the road, you know, in Judah. Now he's not going to see her anymore. I don't know if you, if, uh, as, a, as a kid, I moved around for work. And I remember, oh man, I remember being so cross. They, they moved us to, to Lady Brand. My dad was going to work in Missouri. Man, I was angry. Forgive me if this offends you. But, I mean, we came from... Westville, Durban's the last outpost, right? It's like, you don't get more English than that. And I remember going, God, I don't want to go to those Afrikaans people. And later in life, God had to really deal with my heart. It was a serious moment where we had to take the prejudice out of my heart as a teenager. But as a primary school kid, I was like, God, I don't want to leave my friends behind. I don't want to go to people I don't know in the funny school that I don't know about. Imagine these, these, these guys. They're like, God, where are you taking us? What are you doing with us? But Daniel realized it's not just about him. It's about God at work. And God promises through the prophets 70 years, and he'll accomplish what he wants to do. Friends, if you're facing a trying time, it's so easy for our prayers to be, oh, God, save me. And yet Daniel was someone who made a difference. Through him, God saved a nation. And how about you? Like, oh God, keep my job secure, or God, help my company to be secure. Oh God, I'm scared of the future. God, help the people around me find faith that they won't be scared in the future. Can I encourage us this morning to do the work when I feel like I want to personalize to look at those around me? Yeah? So that's what these young men do. They just assume that as part of God's sovereign plan, and they just get on the, with the job of serving Jesus. So there's three tests that they face in their lives. The first one, as if we continue to read, we'll find it now. The first is the test of the king's food. And it says that, God, that, that the king assigned them his own food. Now, remember pagan culture. Remember, they had pagan worship, but it was also, like here, a very diverse culture. And the way they tried to unify um, the population was around worship of the king. They thought, if we can just get everyone to speak one language, to sing one song, to have one faith, then we will unite our people around. And so they chose the king to be the deity. It's amazing to me that these boys, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, Daniel's friends, would have been in their teenage years. Imagine leaving everything. It's like if you guys went to, um, to boarding school. <laughs> you get dropped into boarding school, and all of a sudden you've now got to stand. Uh, you can give us the go forward again there, Professor. Thanks. That's it. And uh, now everything around you is different. You get thrust into All of a sudden you get offered things that you were never offered at home. When you were young and naughty like me, did you ever go to your neighbor's house, your friend's house, and get offered something that you weren't offered at home? Can I scandalize you? Can I? When I was, uh, I don't know, maybe it was, I'm trying to remember back, grade 7 or grade 8, I went to visit my friend at his house. My family didn't drink alcohol, still don't. His family did. 
We sat down for supper, and it was this part of the thing. Everyone got a sip of champagne. Champagne. Man, like that, not my family, that family. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm going to be so sophisticated now, you know, because uh, I've never been allowed to do this in my house. But now in this house, man, this is my opportunity. And I remember taking that thing, and when everyone said cheers, and they all went, I went like this, I, what should I have done? I said, no, 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 uh, I'm from that family. I'm not. Anyway, I was not as brave as these young men. I remember tasting that stuff thinking, this is terrible. And then the mom and the dad got up to carry everything to the, to the um, kitchen, and there was about this much that they'd poured me, and I took it, and I poured it into the gravy boat. <laughs> and you know that jolly stuff wouldn't sink. <laughs> so anyway, after the fact, I tried to come back to my family, my values, instead of being offered stuff that I shouldn't have been offered in my world. These young men, man, they were offered what they wanted. They could watch those movies they shouldn't be watching. They could do that food, that drink, that culture. And they resolved to say, no, we will stand with God. And uh, so let's read. Uh, verse 6, it says, among these, some from Judah. Dan, and then it gives their, their names. The problem that we have is that they were given other names, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Verse 8 says, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. He asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. And uh, the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord King, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than other men at your age? The king would then have my head. So in other words, if you don't want to give into this culture, that's up to you, but it's on my head. So just do what I say, because otherwise I'll be in trouble. If you've ever had your boss saying, listen, just follow the rules here at this company. Otherwise I'll get it. And these men, these young guys, they stand up and they say, just give us vegetables. I still don't get that part. And they say, test us in 10 days' time. Man, and I was, as I was praying this through for this morning, I thought, how about you and I? How about you and I, where we parachuted into our jobs and into our schools, into our body corporate meetings, into our neighbors across the road? How about you and I saying, man, I will stand for God. I don't know. When, could, could you imagine us saying, just let me do what God said and then test me. See at month end. You got the faith for that? I was challenged, hey? Because we want to make a difference. And when we conform to the culture, are we making a difference? No, we're exactly like everything else. But when there's gossip in the office, when there is uh, 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 doubt, when everyone's gloomy, man, you need to stand out if you want to be opposite. And so the first test was a test of food. And you've heard me say many times, test brings a testimony. You can give us that next slide. A test brings the testimony, right? Can I say to you and I, the amazing thing about these three young, these, these young men is when they were um, standing resolute, saying, we don't want to take your culture on us. We have the kingdom of God culture in us. The issue was that they kept their fruit in the test. Can I suggest to you that when times are trying, it's very tricky to keep our fruit. Do you know what I mean when I say keep our fruit? Ben was reminding us, Galatians tells us about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, kindness, long-suffering, patience, goodness, self-control. I want to encourage you and I, when we face a test like this, 
to keep our fruit. The fruit test speaks of the everyday tests of life. It speaks about traffic on the way to work. It speaks about spilling your coffee all over your fancy outfit before you have to walk into a board meeting. It speaks about your colleague and your neighbor. I want to encourage you this morning to prove to be steadfast and to face the test, but to keep our fruit. How do we stand out? How do we make a difference? We've got to make, you've got to stand out. The second test they, they face is the fire test. This would have happened nearly 20 years later. So the first test they were in their teenagers. The second test they were around 30. Danny would have been around 35. And the point is, we never escape the tests of life. Never escape the tests of life. And remember, so the king built in uh, chapter 3, the king builds this great statue and uh, says when all the musical instruments play, then everyone has to bow down and worship him. Now, remember I said that the Babylonian culture was an inclusive culture. They uh, conquered many other territories just like they did Judah. They put them all together, and it was fine because they were all polytheistic re- uh, religions. In other words, many gods. So when they say, now you must bow down to the king, it's fine. It's just add another god. Now, how about you and I today? For most people around us, sure, I can just add another activity to my life. Hmm? I've got nothing to lose, so why not? But for the Jews in that situation, it was difficult because they were monotheistic. They couldn't just put another God next to, next to God. And so they were in trouble. So they said, we can't bow down. And Nathan Ganeski referenced this passage uh, last week. Referenced this passage. Uh, Daniel chapter 3, verse 17, it says, If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And He will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if He does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Fire represents God's presence even in difficulty. It represents His uh, refining, His purification. What do we learn in the fire? We learn that we stay committed to God rather than our comfort. Sometimes, and I keep coming back to this work thing, because for most of us, that's where we live a lot of our lives, right? How do we make a difference? We need to stand out in our work and in our social circles, where we choose to be committed to God rather than our comfort. The beautiful thing, and I've been really stirred by saying, would I be able to say in my circles, test me and see what God can do for me? Yeah? Now, what about this fire test, this presence in the struggles? You see, because often when we go through struggles, we feel like God has left us. Those horrible people threw me in the furnace. It's terrible. We feel like God has left us. And what happens? We get unhappy with God. We feel it's about me ever. The whole nation is about me. But remember, when we think me, what must we think? Them, right? The beautiful thing is the king looks into the furnace and he says, hang on, says to officials, didn't we send three people into the flames? He says, why do I see four? And one looks like the son of the gods. He didn't know about the Israelites' faith. He just saw this image that he said, man, this one looks like God. Friends, I want to encourage us this morning that even when everything presses in on us, in the fire, you can have the Son of God, Jesus, standing there with you. The fourth man in the fire. I got in the car the other day, turned on the radio, and the song, one, uh, the, the song came on. There's another in the fire standing next to me. 
And you might be in the test. There's one who will stand with you. The last one, which is maybe the one you know the best, is we always talk about Daniel and the lion's den. That's why there's a picture uh, up there. You know that Daniel would have been in his 80s when it got to this stage. Daniel would be in his 80s. He, he prophesies in uh, chapter 6, um, there's writing on the wall, and God says, today uh, the king, your time, your, your life has been uh, measured, you've been found wanting, and today your kingdom will be taken away from you. You know the, history, the historians say that that night <laughs> the Medes attacked, and the king lost his life, and the next day a new king was in place. It's amazing. We read the Bible, we think, oh, it's this happy story. No, uh, it's in history right here. And uh, so Dan- Daniel chapter 5, verse 30, it says, That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. And once again, so then uh, his work colleagues, they don't like him because he's a Jew. His work colleagues decide, let's get at him. How are we going to trick him? The amazing thing, they realize the only way they can catch him out is if it's about his faith. Imagine your colleagues at work, if they wanted to, <laughs> if they wanted to, get, it, to get at you. If they wanted to somehow stop you getting the promotion they fear you're going to get. Imagine them saying, the only way, the only thing we can point a finger at is that he loves Jesus or she loves Jesus. I'm telling you, test me and see if God is with me. Yeah? Put me in the fire. He's still with me. If you want to attack my reputation, the only thing you can work with is my love for Jesus. Isn't that amazing? And so they say this. They, so what they do is they say, for a month, no one can pray to anyone else but the king. Once again, Daniel has a problem because you can't just add the king to your prayer list or to who you pray to, not to pray for. And so he continues to pray and they catch him. And so they throw him in the, in the lion's den. And um, let me just catch up here with myself, find this passage. So they throw him in the lion's den. And the very next day, verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 19, it says, At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurled, uh, hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God. You see, he's realized. Has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue, from the, rescue you from the lions? He answered, King, live forever. May God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. The cool thing is that the very people that try to trick him get thrown into the lion's den. And the Bible says before they reached the ground, the lions ate them up. So these weren't just lazy lions. I don't know, you've been to the game reserve. Sometimes they look like they've moth-eaten, and they've got patches missing, and like they've got big bellies. You think, man, this guy couldn't chase me you know, if someone was pushing him from behind. Not one of those lions. The problem wasn't with the lions. The problem was the fact that God was with Daniel. And so here's the thing. The lions represent the big threats of life. The big threats of life. It speaks about when you hear a lion roar in the bush, you don't know where it's coming from. And I would suggest that maybe some of us this morning have had loud noises, fearful sounds coming against us. I want to remind you that even if you might be in the lion's den, God will be with you. So friends, how do we make a difference? One day when we're no longer here, when you get relocated or when you go to be with Jesus, one day how will we know that my time on earth was worthwhile? I would suggest to you only if you and I make a difference. How do we do that? The tests of life, the Bible says, the tests of life will come. 
You know the best thing about the tests of life? I should say this nervously, right? I have an altar call who wants some tests. Tests will come, right? The Bible says so. Do you know the best thing about the tests of life? If I realize in the test it's not about me, it's about them, then God will use the tests to give me a testimony. And it's in the fire that the people around me will see the difference God makes in me. Let's stand together. Father, I'm aware that many of us this morning face just the everyday tests of life. Sometimes we feel like everywhere we turn, there's another small thing that's putting pressure on us. And Father, I pray that you'd help us remain steadfast in those moments. Father, for some of us, we've chosen not to bow to any other thing. The pressures come. Ah, just crook the books. Just tell a white lie. Just don't tell the whole truth. Father, for those of us that are in threat of the fire, I pray standing next to us. Father, for those of us that may be hearing the big noise, the big thundering, fearful noise, I pray, Lord, that we would know that even when things look like it's our life on the line, Jesus, you close those lion's mouths. You will too for us today. Father, in Jesus' name, would you help us stand out in our contexts? Would you help us stand out, Lord? We do want to be those that are known 